we talked to doctors about bringing the lap band back. It's like, what are the, some of the things that, you know, aren't as shiny to you or aren't as pretty to you in this situation? And one of them was like, you know, the more lap bands I do, the more aftercare my practice has to manage. So providing something like this that can you know, help take some of that burden off of the practice, but allow them to do more procedures just made sense, you know, from a corporate perspective. Welcome to MedSider Radio, where you can learn from proven medtech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott, and in this episode of MedSider Radio, we're chatting with Bart Bandy, who started out his medical device career selling equipment door-to-door, and then landed a spot in one of the first sales classes for Ethicon Endosurgery. He ran the company's global sales before eventually moving on to become group marketing manager of Carl Storrs Endoscopy. In 1999, Bart was recruited to become COO of laparoscopic weight loss startup Inamed. He helped eventually manage the company's $3.5 billion acquisition by Allergan in 2006. Fast forward to 2019, Bart became CEO and president of another laparoscopic weight loss startup, Reshape Life Sciences, which ironically just acquired the lap band, which was previously owned by Inamed. In this discussion, Bart explains how he writes and tests his presentations for maximum impact, the challenges and solutions of moving manufacturing from Costa Rica to the US, and why he wanted to add telemedicine to reshape life sciences without moving away from the brand's core mission. Okay, so before we jump into the discussion, I want to mention a few things. First, since you're listening to MedSider, you're probably aware of how expensive it is to run clinical trials. Anyone who spent time in the medtech space knows that you typically need to commit hundreds of thousands of dollars, oftentimes millions, towards clinical research. But it doesn't have to be that way. And here's why. Proofpilot is a new kind of hybrid clinical trial platform that enables you to run decentralized studies at costs that are 40 to 80% below traditional approaches. This is how they do it. First, you can easily design a trial in the Proofpilot Visual Protocol Designer using their extensive library of templates. Next, you can launch those trials to participants and virtual staff without any technical development. Skip the integration of disconnected providers because Proofpilot pulls it all together seamlessly. For example, you can recruit, consent, and retain participants, then schedule, remind, and collect data, often with minimal manual labor, manage site data in real time, query adverse events quickly, and review data and preliminary analysis within hours, all in one compliant platform. Get up and running quickly with an annual license fee and launch as many trials as you like with an unlimited number of participants. To get started, visit MedSiderRadio.com forward slash ProofPilot. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash ProofPilot. For the MedSider audience, with an annual contract, ProofPilot will provide IRB approval for your first study at no cost. Some exclusions apply, so visit MedSiderRadio.com forward slash ProofPilot to learn more. Okay, second, if you're into learning from proven medtech leaders and want to know when the new content and interviews go live, head over to medsider.com and sign up for our free newsletter. You'll get access to gated articles and lots of other interesting healthcare content. If you want even more inside info from medtech experts, think about a Medsider premium membership. We talk to experienced healthcare leaders about the nuts and bolts of running a business and bringing products to market. This is your place for valuable knowledge on specific topics like seed funding, prototyping, insurance reimbursement, and positioning a medtech startup for an exit. In addition to the entire back catalog of MedSider interviews over the past decade, premium members get exclusive Ask Me Anything interviews and masterclasses with some of the world's most successful medtech founders and executives. 
since making the premium memberships available, I've been pleasantly surprised at how many people have signed up. So if you're interested, go to medsider.com to learn more. All right, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hey, Bart, welcome to uh, Medsider Radio. Appreciate you coming on. Great. Thanks for having me, Scott. All right. Well, I, I provided an, an intro uh, to your background kind of at the outset of this uh, this podcast episode. But why don't we start uh, with you adding a little bit of context or a little bit of color uh, to what I, I previously mentioned. So maybe take us back to your days before um, earlier on in your in your medical uh, device career, you know, through the intimate, uh, eventual uh, exit to, to Allergan and, and, and really kind of, uh, you know, where you've been over the last decade or so leading up to uh, leading up, taking over the, the helmet reshape. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. So like a lot of people in my generation started out uh, learning sales the hard way, you know, door to door equipment sales to offices and uh, did fairly good. I rose to a fairly high management position there within that organization. And then I was recruited and very fortunate to be in the very first sales class for Ethicon Endosurgery, uh, focused on introducing mainstream laparoscopy to the market. You know, with that position, lived in the OR, developed a capacity for learning and running simultaneously. And I spent a good chunk of my career with Ethicon, actually running global sales for them out of Cincinnati office and eventually managing the division based in San Francisco. Uh, But looking at that, I had a good progression through sales, sales management, professional education. But I knew for my career to progress that I needed to get some additional education and experience. So I was uh, recruited by a company called Carl Stortz Endoscopy to come in and run their gynecologic laparoscopy division. And uh, within a short period of time, I was the group marketing manager for the laparoscopic franchise and uh, spent a few years there. I learned a lot about uh, international sales, uh, group marketing, different markets that we were entering, as well as capital equipment. So tremendous experience. And uh, a few years after that, I was recruited to a startup. And finally, I started to see how all of my experience and education and uh, time in laparoscopy might be able to put me in a position to help lead a startup. So they brought me in as the chief commercial officer and uh, they were looking for somebody with corporate background with a commercial background and laparoscopy in their, in their history. And when I saw the technology during the first interview, you know, I knew it was going to be a winner and that was the lap band. And, you know, looking at that uh, obesity growing and, and being evident everywhere and looking at a laparoscopic minimally invasive alternative just, just seemed to be the right thing for me. So I took that position and ultimately became the senior executive for that company, uh, growing the company from zero revenue to $300 million in revenue, and from 13 employees to just under 300 employees. So a lot of growth, a lot of development, personally and professionally. And uh, actually, it was a part of a big purchase when Allergan uh, ended up acquiring Intermed for $3.4 billion. And I was the only senior executive actually to transfer to the new organization and help manage that transition. So you know, another great experience and, and another solid learning experience because now I had the ability to go through a whole M&A experience at a public market level. And that was just a tremendous uh, challenge, but we were able to put everything together. And after about nine months, uh, worked through the diligence and did the transition. And then after a few years of working for Allergan, well, we had continued success with the band. We continued to grow, continue to expand our markets. Uh, but really going back to corporate wasn't the best fit for me personally. And I wanted to get back into developing and building a company. So uh, that's what I've done. If for, for a little while, my wife and I built a few restaurants and you know tried to see if that might be a viable alternative. But it wasn't because medical devices in my blood and I knew I wanted to get back and do something there. So I 
worked in a few startups at executive level, president, chief executive officer. Uh, the position right before my current one was as the CEO and president of an ophthalmic company up in Berkeley, California. So I uh, was able to try out a few of the markets uh, during that that uh, little uh, break from uh, laparoscopy. Uh, you know, I was in aesthetics, I was in uh, wellness and in ophthalmology. So I think that even helped develop my career better because I was able to look at how they did things differently in the different markets and try and accumulate all of that information and pull out the uh, best practices. Yeah, that, thanks for that background. It, your, your last comment around being able to pull out, you know, um, best practices reminds me of a conversation I, I literally just recorded earlier today with uh, Jared Bauer, who's who's running um, Ionic Sciences, and we talked about that very same concept of uh, he's running multiple companies at the same time, and he he said actually it's a it's actually he he's found it to be um, almost you know almost more beneficial right having to to, to manage both companies um, you know simultaneously because he can you know sort of quote unquote using you know Austin Cleon's you know, phrase steal like an artist right and pull <laughs> pull insights from his other you know at the company and and uh, and use those to to kind of level up you know some of the things he's doing at uh, at Ionic so I think it's a really interesting point and. Let's go back to uh, Intimed and, and, and Allergan because I remember when I first got into into the device space, the lap band was like one of the sexier things, you know, at the time. And then, you know, it, it almost, I mean, I, I sort of went and in, gotten into the, the vascular space so that maybe could have been a, a little bit about it, but it, it almost seemed to kind of just disappear. So maybe before we kind of transition to, you know, what led you to reshape and kind of a, some of the key initiatives that, that you've been able to lead over the past uh, few years at reshape, Kind of highlight what, what happened in the lap band because it seemed it didn't really seem like it almost fell off a cliff. No, that's a great question. Um, you know, without saying anything negative about the previous two companies that that had responsibility for the lap band, I, I can just say that the medical device market and the bariatric market, being even a smaller component of that, are very unique. Uh, if you don't continue to build and support your technology and the customers that are using your technology across a gamut of investments and execution, the product won't continue to thrive. The medical device market is always moving forward. It's it's very competitive. If you're not out in front of everything, the doctors have so many people speaking to them and so many technologies that are emerging that you get lost. You you fall back in the pack pretty fast. And I think that's part of what happened here. You know, and, and again, you know, they had different strategies. They had different product mixes. Uh, one was more of a pharmaceutical oriented organization, and the other one was more of an endoscopic oriented organization. So not necessarily perfect fits for a laparoscopic minimally invasive technology. And you know, some people feel that when you have a technology as it gets older, it should uh, have less of a product importance to your portfolio. But that's not necessarily true because when you have a uh, a horse as strong as as the lap band, and there's really no competition for it, the market's still yours. You know, what's interesting is. We built, when we launched the lap band, we helped build the bariatric surgery market from 25,000 annual procedures in the U.S. to over 250,000. And that was, you know, in 2008. And coming back into the market in the last couple of years, it hasn't budged. You know, it's still stayed at that number because there have been no introductions that have achieved reimbursement or significant FDA indications. Uh, other procedures, there's no growth because, you know, you can't really promote those other than the doctors doing it themselves. So I think it's just, it's kind of like, I don't like to say that it declined. I like to say that it was just put into hibernation and we have the chance to wake it up and to bring it back to the market, you know, putting some additional components behind it, some different program parameters that we can expand and some services like Reshape Care that we just launched, which is reimbursed uh, virtual care to support the aftercare of the, of the technology. 
it's going to really help us bring this back. And, and unfortunately, obesity and weight gain are continuing to be prevalent, not just in the U.S., but globally. So it's not like the market has gone away and, you know, nobody's really taken ownership of it. And we're ready to do that because we know the product works. There's over a million lap bands out there in the world that have been placed in people. And uh, again, specific indications for weight loss, specific indications for the lowest BMI in the weight loss market and reimbursement by the major carriers. So this is a great little gym to dust off. Yeah, I, I just hearing you kind of describe that and we could probably record a whole conversation around some of the some of the, the lessons learned, right? And kind of bringing this back to life or bringing it out of, out of hibernation as you, as you put it. But just hearing you describe that kind of reminds me of, um, of Cordis, right? The company in the, in the, in the vascular space that launched the first drug eluting stent, you know, such a, a, an enormous kind of um, technology, uh, you know, truly game-changing type of technology, but then sort of sat on their laurels, really, you know, and, and you know, quickly, um, you know, other, other companies kind of quickly took the lead, you know, in that, in that space, you know, Boston Scientific being one of them. Medtronic, et cetera. And so if anything, it seems like the lesson learned there is like, even though the technology is elegant, super compelling, you know, if, if there's not, you know, concerted effort and pushing it forward and, uh, you know, not being proactive, I mean, I guess any, anything could, anything is uh, at risk of going into hibernation, you know? You know, it's funny, Scott, because we've done some focus groups and people 30 years old and younger don't even know what the lap band is, which is crazy because huh. you know, 10 years ago, every billboard in Southern California was lap band. Yeah. And when you think about it, you're going, wow. So if nobody promoted it or put it out there for 10 years, and now these, you know, 30 year olds were 20 and younger. Yeah. You can imagine it really is a whole new market to introduce it to again. Yeah. I bet. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about um, what you guys are doing uh, at reshape, right. To kind of bring this, uh, you know, breathe some fresh air into uh, into what was a, a very a very cool product. Um, before we get into some of these uh, kind of key key accomplishments, um, you know, that you've been able to uh, to kind of lead over the past uh, few years, what you know, take us back to a few years ago, right, when you were considering um, the reshape opportunity. What compelled you to to take over the the helm there? It's kind of a funny story. So I was a, as I mentioned, I was CEO for an ophthalmic company up at near Berkeley. And for two and a half years, I commuted from San Diego to uh, the Bay Area every week. And simultaneously, I was looking at personal relocation and everything else. And uh, a friend told me about a company in Orange County that had just announced their acquisition of the lap band and the simultaneous departure of their CEO. So I loved the lap band. I I loved Southern California. And I said, "I I need to find out what this opportunity can look like. So it's just kind of a lot of stars aligned and I got a chance to bring back something that I I know I'm fully committed to and I'm fully passionate for. And, you know, the whole weight loss market is just something that if you have the opportunity to participate in it, you can see the impact you have on people's lives. It's the biggest thrill in the world. And I I wanted to pursue that. So everything lined up and uh, we're here in Southern Cal. That's uh, that's pretty rare where, you know, the, a company will, will make a, a significant sort of acquisition, especially with a technology that's as well known as the as the lap band, or at least was once as well known as the as the lap band. Um, yet uh, yet the CEO, CEO uh, kind of kind of moves on, you know, presenting an, an opportunity like that. So that's uh, certainly probably a good way to describe it. Right. The stars sort of aligned, especially considering your your experience with that uh, that, that device. Um, before we get into to some of these key key initiatives that I that I mentioned that you've been able to uh, hur- hurdles um, what, you know hills that you've been able to climb you know over the last uh, over the last few years, uh, I want to go back to kind of uh, your background leading leading up to maybe the past you know seven to eight years be, you know prior to reshape, you have a ton of experience 
from a commercial perspective, especially around developing new markets. So um, with that said, like, are, you know, when you, when you think about all of the years doing this, you know, are there, are there one to two, um, you know, things that, that really come to mind that, uh, that have enabled uh, your success in taking, uh, taking on this, this, you know, various market development um, activities? Well, thank you for the, the nice lead in, but, you know, I think, one thing I learned was, you know, you have to really understand the health economics up front and make sure that they're incorporated into your complete strategy and execution plan. Because, I mean, everything from R&D to how you're going to package it to where it's going to be used to what the CPT codes look like to what kind of surgeon returns there are. Because, you know, surgeons are also running businesses, a lot, a lot of them, you know, in the private sector. So you have to understand all those health economics so that you can really design appropriately and create a winning platform. Uh, know where you want to go and know how you're going to get there before you start the, the journey. And that's, that's what I've always told everybody. So get involved early into what that really looks like from a health economics perspective. And then hire the best people and create a culture of collaboration and accountability. Provide them with a clear and consistent direction and then be comfortable in getting out of the way, but supporting their efforts to achieve those identified objectives. You know, that, that's the thing. You can't do it all. But if you bring in the right people and you give them the resources and the support they need, you know, help them get there and you'll get there. So those are two of the biggest lessons that I've learned. You know, you, you've got to have trust. You've got to have the right culture and you have to know exactly where you're going before you start. And I'm glad you mentioned um, not not to underappreciate kind of the, you know, the, the second answer that you provided. But I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned the healthcare economics uh, component of this. I, I recently interviewed um, uh, Nick Anderson, who by the, by the time this is published, this I'm, I'm sure that interview will be will be live. But he's an he's like one of my go to you know health uh, health economics uh, guys, and um, it's amazing. We had this very the same conversation. It's amazing, even to him, right? Because he still does a fair amount of consulting. Um, it's amazing how many startups just don't whether startups or just like companies that are introducing you know new technologies to the market just underappreciate the, the health economics component it's like it's like sometimes it's an afterthought when it and you know <laughs> very well could be you know the the most important factor right um, in whether or not you know something's going to succeed so I'm, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that it's still surprising right that, that a lot of a lot of folks uh, you know kind of kind of miss that component yeah, I think you have to try to avoid getting founder vision where, you know, you have the prettiest baby all the time in your eyes, but you haven't really checked it out with the rest of the world. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way to put it. Um, well, yeah, let, let's let's transition to the past few years uh, and maybe maybe really the past the past year, especially uh, with some of the things that you've uh, you've been able to accomplish at, at Reshape. And and maybe maybe it's best just to start out with, you know, the the, the capital raise that was recently announced. And I think it's. It, um, there's some details around the, the the affiliated merger with Obalon Therapeutics, and so maybe maybe kind of tell us a little bit more about uh, about what that looked like, and then as a, as a follow up, I'd love to get your take just on raising raising capital in general uh, within the life sciences space because everyone that's that's you know most people that are listening to this interview understand how hard it can be, um, so we'd love to get kind of your take on on that as well. Well, the so the the merger was something that made sense. You know, we looked at it from a lot of different angles and one, you know, we talked earlier about the, the previous CEO had left. Well, well, the company had a lot of challenges uh, prior to my joining and trying to raise cash, trying to stay viable, trying to keep the company alive. They had to make some decisions that ultimately led to them being delisted from NASDAQ. So that was part of the reason for that. So one of the things that we had as a goal as a company was to get back on NASDAQ, you know, to bring back uh, the company, to clean up any issues that might have been out there, and to have better access to the capital we really needed to build out 
the program, you know, to have the money to commercialize lap band, to acquire uh, products and support services that were synergistic with, you know, our focus on the weight loss market. And so that was crucial for us. So when we looked at the Obalon merger, number one, we were able to bring ourselves back onto NASDAQ and, and become relisted. So that was great. And then that gave us immediate access to count. We brought in $46.2 million right after the uh, merger and also brought in some money that we, we had in the acquisition. So uh, we were able to finally have that financial position to make sure we had a clean balance sheet, make sure our, our, our supply chain was completely up to date, make some of the investments that we'd had on hold during the pandemic and to you know really pivot from a survive sort of a uh, mentality to a thrive. And, you know, just to see that excitement level and passion now within the, the employees and the doctors that we work with in the market, it's just just exactly where we wanted to be. So, you know, you wanted what you wanted. We got there and now we're under the spotlight and we have to execute. So we're ready for that. All right. The, the journey's just begun, so to speak. Right. Exactly. Um, so when you're when you're um, you know, speaking of that, that that raise. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a fair amount of people that you had to uh, to sort of win over. Right. That you needed uh, you needed uh, people on, on your team to kind of get behind this 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 merger and the uh, the effective raise. You know, what what are you know, in your any experience doing uh, you know, participating in those types of you know, capital raising initiatives? Are there are there you know, one to two pieces of advice that you'd offer up to other other med tech or other healthcare entrepreneurs that are they're in the same boat, whether they're you know, maybe trying to raise their series A, or maybe it's a follow-up round. Sure. Yeah, no, great question. A um, couple of things I can think of is one, build a great company presentation that can be emailed to somebody and they can still get through it. It becomes almost intuitive for them to understand what, what your value proposition is and have your the clear objectives that highlight your key benefits and your, your differentiation and, and what you represent as an organization and a management team, you know, being, having, showing the clear and experience management background for your team is, is very important. One of the most crucial things I've seen investors discuss, you know, is if I give you money, who's going to use it? What are they going to do with it? And then fine tune that presentation, no matter how many times you've done it, fine tune it, have a different audience, look at it. So, you know, we had investors look at it, regulatory people look at it, uh, attorneys look at it outside uh, mentors uh, that could look at it and have good experience with it. And no matter how many times you look at it, there's something you can improve. And, and if you don't think so, have somebody else look at it because there's always something you can improve. But then you have to practice it, practice it, practice it, practice it. You have, to, you have to make it almost like it's part of your being to the point that you can confidently shape it and present the information to an audience in a highly efficacious manner, but on the run, because they're going to take you a lot of different directions. You're going to have to be able to skip slides. You're going to have to be able to pivot your story uh, to answer their questions and you know, you, you can be presenting that this deck anywhere from an investor to a banker to uh, a potential board of an acquisition target. So you've got to really have a good deck and it has to be it has to be strong, have a great base, be intuitive and be very clear. But also it has to be something that you can pivot. And it's almost like a book where you can skip chapters and go to pages and, you know, help help people understand exactly what they're trying to find out from you. Because remember, they're giving you 15 minutes. You better make best use of it. And uh, the second thing I'd say is um, hire, hire the right bankers and attorneys and anybody else who can help open the right doors and expand your network. Uh, and then also help you make sure that you're negotiating the best deal. So there's money out there, but what type of money and how much money is up to you, your offer, and how you perform in your presentation to these people? Yeah, that that's such good advice. Uh, you know, hearing you describe kind of your uh, the the efforts needed and, and the focus and efforts needed around uh, 
around just the deck and the, and the, and the presentation alone, especially considering you've probably done this a fair amount, right. And you, uh, you still can't, uh, it, it's not like you can, uh, you can, you know, skate, skate through it, right. It still deserves a ton of attention and a ton of a focus, a, a lot of, a lot of practice, a lot of shots on goal, right. In order to <laughs> find the right to find the right partners. On that note, with respect to kind of reshape and the merger with with Obalon, why why the merger? Was there technology? Did did Obalon like did they did that company have technology that that was synergistic to what you're trying to do at Reshape? Yeah, absolutely. So they have an endoscopic balloon that you're able to swallow a capsule. So no no upfront procedure, but swallow a capsule, swallow additional capsules during a six month period, uh, kind of keep your stomach full so that you eat less food. And then after six months, go in and endoscopically retrieve those balloons. So uh, it, it makes sense because it's weight loss. It's maybe a different uh, market segment than what we uh, currently focus on with the lap band. And because we also have reshaped care, which is reimbursed aftercare, we can put a reimbursed uh, virtual health program behind that balloon. So right now, you know, they, they shut down everything in March of 2020. So right now we have the keys to the building. So we're going through that manufacturing and, and, and analyzing it, making sure that, you know, we can bring everything back up. The FDA certifications are still in place, uh, but we have to make sure that it's a viable business and that we can, we can treat it right. So that's what we're doing right now is focusing on almost like looking at a new business uh, can we do it? Is it right for us? And, you know, what are the opportunities down the road with five-year performance and everything else? But uh, we're digging in hard and, you know, and I just love the optionality of bringing in an additional uh, product to our portfolio that really positions us to have multiple pathways for sur- for physicians or surgeons and their patients to achieve success. Got it. And is, is Opalon, is that, is that a company that was uh, was based here in Southern California as well, or were they based elsewhere? Yeah, actually, they're just on the other side of the Marine base. They're they're in Carlsbad, California. So as you might okay. imagine, the uh, the secret project name for this was Project Pendleton. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, and for those listening, uh, you know, I'm 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 recording this uh, here in Mission Viejo, South Orange County, and and Bart's there at the at the reshape offices in in San Clemente, and then. Of course, Camp Pendleton's just south of where we're at, so yeah, makes uh, ma- makes sense. Good, good choice for the project name, <laughs> <laughs> right? On that note, let's jump to another another uh, kind of key win that you were able to knock knock off, which uh, which is incredibly impressive. Which was a, a manu- manufacturing transfer, you know, during the uh, the, the COVID pandemic, uh, mind you. And so you you decided to make the to, to move lines. Um, I think for the lap band. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was for the lap band from Costa Rica back to the U.S. So, two questions really around that is. Is that seems a little bit atypical, right? Um, when most medical device companies are moving manufacturing lines outside the U.S., you decided to do the opposite, um, go against the go against the tide, so to speak. So, curious to learn a little bit more about that, and then also like any other you know key key tips, um, whether it was specific to this particular transfer or other transfers that you've been you've participated in. Are there, you know, you were able to do this during the pandemic, which I you know I'm sure presented a lot of um, unique unique challenges. So, interested in any other key insights you have around. Uh, around making manufacturing transfers more more efficient. Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. 
To learn more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash premium.